0: right, we're in Luke chapter 5. I want you to notice the last few verses in verse 36. It says, And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh the rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles, and be spilled, and the bottle shall perish. But new wine must be put in new bottles, and both are preserved. No man, also having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new, for he saith, the old is better. Now, this parable is probably a little foreign to most of us today, because when you hear about new wine and old bottles, you know, when we think of bottles, we typically think of like glass bottles, don't we? But back then, they had bottles that were actually made out of skins. And so if you would put wine, new wine, or, you know, fresh grape juice into one of these new bottles, what's going to happen that's made out of skin, as that wine begins to get older and ferment, it's going to expand. And you know, and that, that skin, it'll stretch a little bit. But if you continue putting the new wine in an older bottle that's already been stretched out, what's eventually going to happen is the bottle's going to burst. And then you, now you no longer have a bottle and you no longer have the wine either because uh, you lost it. And so it's best to put new wine and new bottles. And then you preserve both, both of them. Same thing, too, when it comes to the new cloth on an old garment, okay? Now, a lot of us probably don't do a, lot, a whole lot of sewing today, especially guys, but you know, we know the material, typically over time, a lot of times it'll end up shrinking, right? So if you have a, an item of clothing that's already older, that's already shrunk, and then you put a new, a new cloth over, you know, like you patch it up with a new cloth, well, what's going to happen, that new cloth's eventually going to start shrinking, And then it's going to rip up that garment. And they're just just not going to go together. And so that Jesus is bringing up these facts that, you know, you've got to just kind of use some common sense when it comes to certain things. Otherwise, you're actually going to cause more damage. Now, you know, what application was he specifically making back then? Why did he even bring this up? And the first thing we need to understand about this parable is this this isn't about an old versus new thing. A lot of times people like to use this to compare the new paths versus the old paths. And no, that's not going to work. Uh, And nor is it going to work, too, to show how the new way is better than the old way. No, that's not what this is about. And when we look at context and why Jesus brought this up, I think all of a sudden it makes sense what he's talking about here. And I believe there are ways today that even us as fundamental Baptists, if we're not careful, we can violate this principle and we can end up causing a lot of harm to people. And I, and I hate to tell you this, but sometimes, you know, we can cause our religious practices to do damage to people, and that is not what we are here for. That's not what we want to do. So it's very important that we understand this principle here. So let's look at verse 33. Now we're not going to take time to go over the whole chapter again, but remember, Jesus told us. Uh, we see an example of a miracle that Jesus did earlier in this chapter, where a man who is lame, a man who is crippled, Jesus heals him. And he dared to do it on the Sabbath day. Boy, the religious leaders got mad. You know, they couldn't, you know, they should have been excited. Hey, this guy has been relieved of a great burden. It took four guys to carry him around. Now he can get get himself around. But how dare they do this on the Sabbath day? All they could think about was the fact that he violated their religious practice. Now, the Sabbath was a good thing. The Sabbath was a good thing. But one thing we see throughout the Gospels... The Jews turned the Sabbath into a burden. And so we see that story in here. We see them getting mad that Jesus is eating with publicans and sinners. You know, how dare you do that? You know, in our religious practice, we separate ourselves from these people. And you know that separating from sinners to a certain extent is good, too. But you can take that stuff too far. You can do that for the wrong reasons. And, you know, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. But Jesus actually came to call sinners to repentance. And unfortunately, these people didn't realize that they were sinners too. But after he does that, so in verse 33, says, And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. So this is a legitimate question. Is fasting a good thing? Do we see fasting throughout the Bible? Well, of course we see fasting throughout the Bible. But then we see these people like you know what we see John's disciples fast all the time. The Pharisees fast, but you know what? You guys are always eating. You know, you know what? Now why were they always eating? I'll tell you why. This is proof they were Baptists, amen. Right? No, that's that's another thing. Anybody ever tries to tell you Jesus wasn't a Baptist? Why were they eating all the time? Anyway, verse thirty four. Too much camp and preaching, I guess. But and he said unto them, Can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they feast in those days. So the first thing, you know, so what, what Jesus was trying to do here is he was saying, you know what? There is a time and a place for fasting, and there is a time and a place where it doesn't make sense to fast. There are some things. That are good, but they're not necessarily these commands that we have to do all the time. There's a time and there's a place for them. And we should not ever take things that are spiritual in nature and things that are even good and destroy people with them. And you could potentially do that. And often people in churches, they will take their religious practices and they will they will impose them on people in a way that ends up doing more damage to the people. And we are not here to damage people. Listen, if you've got a hole in your garment, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to get it patched up. But you don't want to do it in a way that's actually going to make the garment even worse. And you know what? We're going to have people that come into this church that've got a lot of different issues, that've got a lot of problems, that of course those things need to be fixed. And yes, there's ways and there's specific things that they may need. But if we're not careful... We can kind of take some of our spiritual principles and we can in a careless way impose them on people and end up doing damage to them and end up making things worse. And but a lot of times people don't see it because like, well, this was a religious thing. This was a good thing. There must just be something wrong with them. But no, the truth is, you know, these things they shouldn't be that hard to figure out. It's just kind of a common sense thing. But we do see the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They were more about just keeping power for themselves. Was that not a thing? They were more just about, you know, gain for themselves. They wanted that notoriety. They wanted that respect. They wanted people under their thumb. And you know, if we're not careful, we can get that way with other people too. If we're not careful, we can get to where we want people being like us Not because it's going to make them better and closer to Jesus, but because it will make us look better. It will make our church look better. And we can start putting pressure on people that they are not ready for. And you know what ends up happening? We end up taking that new bottle and we end up bursting it. Or that old bottle, we end up bursting it. We end up doing damage and we want to preserve people. We want to help people. We want good things to happen in people's lives. And so what were the good things that the Pharisees were actually using to cause harm? In people's life, because again there are there are some things that are good but they shouldn't be used all the time it's got to be the right time for example there's some medicine that's good how many of you today are thankful for Novocaine okay now if you've ever been to the dentist you're thankful for Novocaine But well, you know what it would be wrong if we were like handing out Novocaine shots to people here at church just to just to take okay that's probably illegal I, I don't know but it's like, you, you can't do that. It's like, why not? I can't see anything in the Bible against Novocaine. You know, this is a good thing. Well, yeah, it's a good thing if you're getting your tooth drilled. You know, that, that it's, it's a very good thing. But, you know, you can't just use that all the time. I mean, how many of you in here are thankful for morphine? Okay. Now, if you ever had a surgery or something, you're probably pretty thankful for that stuff when somebody was cutting you open. But you know what? You don't need any morphine right now. Right? You shouldn't take that stuff in a recreational way. That's that's not good. That you know, that's bad. And so there are things too that are that are spiritual, that have a spiritual impact, but you know what? There's times where it's not a good thing. Now, fasting is one of those things. Now turn over to first Samuel chapter 14. Okay, because fasting is what they specifically brought up to Jesus here, too. And Jesus is like, why would, you know, they don't, he's basically told them they don't need to fast right now. When Jesus was doing his ministry, they had a short time and they were traveling a lot. They were preaching a lot. They were busy. We see over and over again, the Bible where it talks about how weary Jesus was and how there were many times where he just needed to get away from everybody. You know why? Because he was tired because he was wore out because they were doing a lot of work. And so what they didn't need during that time was fasting. That would not have helped them. That would not have been beneficial for them. And so, you know, just like you're not going to go fast on your honeymoon, that's not a time to fast. That's a time to celebrate. That's a time to enjoy your husband and wife when you first get married. You're not going to fast during that time. And he's like, you know what? We've got work to do right now. Fasting is not going to help. Fasting, we're already doing a difficult job. These guys are already tired. They're already weary. We're already hungry enough as it is. You know, so the last thing I'm going to do is tell them, to just do a, time, do a time of fasting, it will hurt them. It will do damage. And we do see a place in the Bible where a fast is proclaimed. And it was a dumb thing to do. And we're going to see too, it actually caused the people to sin. In 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 24, because first off, they're fighting a battle. Now when you're fighting a physical battle, the last thing you want is a bunch of hungry soldiers. Because guess what? When you get hungry, you get weak, don't you? And when you fight, you need to be strong. You need your energy. And it says in verse 24, And the men of Israel were distressed that day. For Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on mine enemies, so none of the people tasted any food. Now, I wish I could preach about Saul right now, but Saul reminds me a lot of, you know, he, he was a king who was in rebellion against God, and he was always looking for something spiritual and he couldn't find it. He'd go to and later. We see he eventually went to a witch to get it, but he reminds me of a lot of Baptist preachers today. They're so anxious to see something spiritual because their churches are dead. They're so anxious to see some sort of move of God that they just start declaring these spiritual things that are kind of pointless. I mean, they have 45 revival meetings a year, wearing their people out, flopping their people out. And it's like. It, you're not helping them right now. You know what your people need? You know what would help your church more than anything right now is give them a week off. <laughs> I mean, good night. But, you know, that, that's what they need. But no, when things are dead and we just can't get a hold of God, we can't see nothing with God, what do they do? They declare some kind of big spiritual thing. And that's kind of what Saul did, but what he did was dumb. And, he, so, and so this was a bad idea and it says it distressed the people. And it said, and, they all, and all they of the land came to a wood and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were coming to the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. And right here, this violates a principle we see in the Bible about not muzzling the ox that treadeth the corn. Just like you shouldn't stop an ox from eating when he's doing work for you, you shouldn't tell your soldiers when they're fighting their battle that they can't eat along the way. That's That's a terrible thing to do to your soldiers. But Saul did a lot of dumb stuff. In verse 27, but Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore, he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. That reminds me of me anytime I eat something sugary. You know, we've all had that feeling. You know, hungry, why wait? Snickers. You know, we, we, we all know how it is. That, that's, gotten me to, that's caused me to make it till supper time many times in my life. So it says and then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straitly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day, and the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father had troubled the land. See, I pray you how mine eyes have been enlightened, because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if haply the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found? For had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. And they smote the Philistine that day from Michmash to Agilon, And the people were very faint. So, again, bad idea. Now, again, is fasting a good thing? Yes. But is it always something that you want to do? Is it for every time, every place? Absolutely not. When you're fighting a battle, that is not a time to proclaim a fast with your people. And you know what? A lot of times Christians they will take things that are good. They'll take things that are in the Bible. But then, for some weird reason, and it's mainly religious leaders that do this type of thing, they will try to force it on people when they're not ready. Not not taking into consideration their spiritual well-being, their spiritual health. We don't want to destroy people. And as a result, many times, because we put too much on people when they're not ready for it, you know what we end up doing? We end up causing them to flop out. We end up causing them to sin. And so Saul, he does. He proclaims this fast. But as a result, watch what ends up happening to these people. Because they go through with the fast. But then in verse 32, after they defeat the city, it says, And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground. And the people did eat them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord, and that they eat with the blood. And he said, Ye have transgressed, roll a great stone unto me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people, and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox, and every man his sheep, and slay them here, and eat, and sin not against the Lord at eating with the blood. And the people brought every man his ox to him that night, and slew them there. So, eating with the blood was a big, big no-no with the Jews. I mean, that was even something they told them to do in the book of Acts. After people got saved, you know, they said that there there's still some things you need to avoid. He said, you know, avoid fornication, eating things strangled and with blood. That is a disgusting thing to do. He said, well, why would these people do this? I'll tell you why. Because they were starving. They got ravenous. They got crazy. And they did. They ended up going to their animal instincts. You know why? Because they were hungry. Because they were starving. That wasn't right. It's like, couldn't they have taken just a little bit more time and just cooked it? You know, I mean, we but you know, we haven't been there. We don't know what it's like. You know, we we have access to food so easy these days. But what these guys did was a great sin. And Saul caused them to do that. Saul was responsible for that. Because here's the thing. It's not a sin to not have a fast sometimes. Especially when you're fighting a battle. But you know what? It was a sin to eat the blood. And these people would not have done that if they would have just ate honey along the way like Jonathan did. They they wouldn't have felt the need to do that. They probably still would have been hungry, but they could have waited until they butchered them up properly and cooked them and did things the right way. So Saul's fast, he declared, caused the people to sin because it was not a sin to not fast, but it was a sin to eat the blood. And Saul's fast, too, that He proclaimed it also ended up making him look bad because he didn't follow through with what he said he was going to do Now he was going to kill his own son, which again it was this it was a dumb fast, but you know, he he proclaimed it Unfortunately, the people stopped him but either way it made him look bad either way a lot of damage was done that day and so When it comes to fasting we see it done for many different reasons in the bible We see it in many different situations, but the truth is something like fasting It really that's really between god and the individual None of us here can necessarily just tell everyone when they're supposed to fast, how they need to fast. I mean, what if, you know, what, what if I just declared a fast as the pastor of this church and told everybody to follow it and then we've got somebody that's like diabetic or something and then they end up dying. You know, oh, I for the Lord. Listen, fasting's not supposed to get you killed. Okay? And you know, We do see examples in the Bible where leaders called fast. But, you know, the truth is, I'm sure they still had some common sense. I'm still still sure they had care and concern for the people. You know, obviously, if you got some nursing mom, you don't want to have her do a week-long fast. You know, she needs to feed that baby. Obviously, we don't want, you you can't make the babies. There's common sense that goes with this. But sometimes people get so hardcore, nope, fasting is so important. This is how it is. This is how it is for everybody. You, know, you can't do that. There's some things that it's between the individual and God. And the last thing we want to do as a church is to go take something like fasting and start hurting people, start doing damage to people. And the Jews, they did that kind of thing. We also see they did the same thing with the Sabbath. It says in Mark 2, 23, and it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the disciples said unto, or the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was a hungered? He and they that were with him, how he went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And and he saith unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Okay, that table of showbread, that was a very specific, one of the holy vessels that were inside the tabernacle. That bread was only to be eaten by the priest. That was something that was, you know, it had spiritual significance, symbolic significance to it. And it wasn't just for anyone to eat. But you know what? An emergency came up. And you know, David and his men didn't need to starve to death because of this. Again, there are things, you know, so so for example too, I believe attending church is a very good practice. I believe it is something that God wants us to do. But at the same time, is it necessary for all of us to risk our lives, you know, to attend church every Sunday? when blizzard season comes. Are we sinning if we cancel church because of a blizzard? Listen, church isn't supposed to kill us. It's supposed to help us. And how are we going to get help if we're all getting stuck in a ditch and freezing to death? Listen, we should be in church. It's meant to help us spiritually. But if you're sick, if you're dying, if you have the flu, if you're throwing up, and you need to stay home and take care of yourself, it's okay for you to do that. Again, I, you know, and preachers, they get up. I believe y'all be in church every week. and I believe that. I believe y'all be in church every week. But you know what? Ladies, if you just had a baby, you don't have to come to church. You can take a day off. You know, you know if sometimes there's a reason to not do things and people can get so crazy over the top and just pushing church attendance that we end up hurting people, that we end up destroying people. You know, maybe they're not ready for it. Listen. Church has always been a big priority for me. Okay? I grew up in a pastor's home. That's how it is. I've I've always made sure that any job that I've ever had would not keep me out of church. That that's just how I've lived my life. That's been a personal conviction for me, but and and, and the Lord has blessed that. And I've never I've never had to, you know, miss church for those things. And I'm thankful for that, but at the same time, too, you know, I don't think we need to like make some guy that just got saved, you know, just quit his job and then like destroy himself financially just to make sure he's here church on Sunday. Now, listen, I think if that guy starts growing in the Lord, he's going to figure out a way to get here. He might figure out how he can do a transfer or change shifts or something like that. But, you know, we don't need to go forcing things on people that they're not just ready for. If we get some guy saved and they just immediately, the first thing we do, like you, you, you're just going to have to quit your job. How am I going to pay my bills? Lord will provide, you know? Hey, I hope you're ready to help him pay his bills. You know, it, it's okay for us to give people time. Because uh the last thing we want to do is just destroy that guy's you know finances, which might end up hurting his marriage, and we're just causing all of these problems for him. We need to understand what a lot of people are up against when they get saved, especially when they get saved later in life. You get you know, some people they get saved and their spouse isn't saved yet. You know what we don't want to do? We don't want to start putting things on them that's going to tear that marriage apart. We don't want to, we don't want to do that. You know, our practices aren't meant to destroy marriages and tear people apart. We're not wanting to destroy families. And we sometimes have to give people time. We've got to have patience and we've got to... You understand that, you know, they might not be able to do some of the things that we're doing. They're not ready for it yet. If we put that new wine in this old bottle, it's going to burst... And we ought to have a care and concern for that vessel, for that bottle. We don't want to see it burst. We want it to be, we want it to be able to continue to serve a purpose and have use. And so we've got to be careful with these things. And the Jews, literally, we can go on and on showing examples of this. They turn the Sabbath day into a burden. Jesus said in John seven twenty one. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work and y'all marvel. Moses therefore gave you the circumcision because it is of Moses. Not, or not because of the Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me? Because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now what's Jesus doing here? He's comparing laws because they had a very strict observance that on the eighth day, a male child is supposed to be circumcised. But what if that eighth day is on the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, he's like, you circumcise them anyway, because you don't want to break that law of Moses there too. And so the thing is too, we want people to be in church, but we also want them to be able to provide for their families. We want people to go to church, but we also don't want to destroy their marriage because people aren't supposed to get divorced either. So we're always trying, you know, we've got to, we've got to be aware of the circumstances, the situation what's going on in everybody's life and just have a care and concern for people. And a lot of times in religion, we do. We just get all crazy strict about one thing and we don't care who it hurts. We don't care who it takes down. That's not the attitude we're supposed to have. The things of God were not meant to destroy. They were not meant to hurt. They were meant to help people. And so again, we've got to understand some of these old bottles, some of these old garments out there, There there are some things that they might not quite be ready for yet and we've got to make sure we don't put things on them that they're not ready. So, these are the things that they did back then that are specifically mentioned. Kind of how how they were with the Sabbath. How they were with fasting. But what are some ways that we do this today? Because I I believe sometimes even as New Testament Christians we can be guilty and violate this principle. So, Uh, Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. One thing that we've got to understand about new believers is there's going to be some things that they might not be ready for yet. And we ought to have great care and concern as we give them those things. In Hebrews 5.11, these good things, these things that are right, we need to be careful. It says in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, "...seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil." So notice there are some people they're only capable of taking in milk. Now, and sometimes people, they should be capable of more than that. And a lot of times you do, there's some people you got to put extra work on them. But either way, you know what you need to do? You need to do the work because we don't want to destroy people. It's like babies, okay? Some babies, they just don't eat like they're supposed to. You know, my wife, when have, with having babies, You know, some of them, I mean, just like immediately from the time they were born, they were ready to nurse. They were they were eating like they were supposed to. The doctors were all happy. She's happy. Baby's happy. Everyone's happy. But then, you know, we've had other babies. They didn't do it as well. Tommy was one of them. You know, Tommy was born four weeks early, and he didn't want to nurse right. And the nurse, doctors and nurses drove us crazy. It was frustrating for her. It was her first time nursing. You know what we didn't do? We didn't just say, well, you know what? If he's just not going to learn, just tough luck. He's just going to have to starve. No, you know, it was a lot more work. It took a lot extra time, but you know, figured out what needed to be done for him in that situation. And it is, it's, it's, it's different for every kid. Some people start doing what they're supposed to do pretty quickly and easily. Some people, man, you just can't get them to do what they're supposed to do. You know what we don't do though? We don't destroy them. You have some kids, they, they learn their lessons a little faster than other kids. They respond to discipline a little better than other kids. But what do you do when you have that one that just is a little more stubborn? Do you just throw them out of the house? Do you just drop them off at the fire station? Or do you just put in that extra work? You don't want to destroy them. And it's going to be the same thing with people. And if we're not careful, we can't. We can end up destroying them. We can end up ruining them. Well, this is what I did with this other kid. That was a different kid. You know, well, this is what, you know, when I got saved, you know, I did this, I did that, you know, okay, that's what you did when you got saved. But you know what? That's not what this other person's doing. So you know what? Let's not, let's not destroy them. Let's try to help these people out. First Corinthians three, one, I brethren could not speak unto you as in a spiritual. Why not? The spiritual things are right. The spiritual things are the word of God. I think you ought to just tell it like it is. Hey, and there is, there's a time and a place to just get up and tell it like it is. There's a time to just get up there and just drop unfiltered truth bombs. But there's another time to be careful. There's another time to be sensitive. And so Paul, because he had a great care and concern for these people, you know, he wanted them to grow up. He's like, you know, he's like, you're carnal. He's like, you're babes in Christ. It's like, I fed you with milk and not with meat. He's trying to let them know, Hey, I've got something better for you. You know, I'm only giving you the milk. But you know, he's encouraging them, grow up, grow up, and then you're going to start getting the meat. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't just shove the meat down their throat. You know why? Because he had a care and concern for them. And I'm, I'm afraid many times we just don't have any love for people. We don't care what happens to them. I mean, and, th- and folks, we've got to think about this. This job is going to get more and more difficult for us the more and more wicked our world gets. Because, you know, it is sad the things that people have to unlearn today. When they get saved. I mean, think about it. If you go and you get sa- you get someone saved today fresh out of the community college, you know what? They're going to have a lot of things they're going to have to unlearn. I mean, and you know what? We need to be compassionate. We need to be understanding of where they come from. You know, we get some, you know, I don't think every young, blue-haired, hipster type, you know, female with their Sides of her head shaved is a reprobate. What if we get one of them saved? Now, if they look like that, you know what? I'll bet they've got some pretty bad beliefs that come with it. I'll bet, I'll bet they voted for Joe Biden. <laughs> I, mean, I, I bet, I, you know, I, I'll bet they support gay marriage. I'll, I'll you know, I do. I'm just going to assume that about a lot of these people. But you know what? There, there's going to be a lot that they've got to unlearn. And just like moms, they do. They kind of instinctively, they know how to feed their children. You know, and the last thing that moms need is just there's always that guru out there that thinks that they they have this one-size-fits-all advice for every baby. There's that mom out there, this is what I did. Shut up, all right? Shut up. Okay, listen, moms, help each other out. But, you know, stop trying to be everybody's guru, and if they do something a little different than you, you know, it's because they're a different human, they are, have a different body, and they have a different baby. And you know, what works for you might not work for them, but you know, when it comes to moms and their kids, they typically figure out how to get it done. Okay, we've got a lot of different kids here, a lot of different moms, and I'm not seeing any of these kids starve to death. You know, they're all they're all looking pretty healthy, and I guarantee you're not all doing everything exactly the same. So how are you getting it done? You know what? Instincts. Instincts love. It's gonna help you get it done. But you know, you do you have people out there that just try to blindly follow the gurus, and you know what ends up happening? They end up hurting their kids a lot of times. Well, the guru said I should do this. You know? When it comes when, when it comes to discipline, you know, there's animals that know how to discipline their young. And yet a lot of humans don't know how to discipline their kids. And then they listen to some nut job big bearded preacher give them advice on how to just beat the fire out of that kid, and it's like, you don't know, I don't think you need to beat your kid, especially that kid. You, know, you have some kids, you just barely have to swab, and that's all it takes for them. Okay, That guy might have needed that when he was growing up. But then you do. You have these parents, it's like they have no will of their own, and then they just go and just violently are beating their kids. And oh, well, you know, the Bible does say, Thou shalt beat them. <laughs> Listen, we use that word a lot of different ways. Did you know if you take two drumsticks and you just start hitting the drum like that? Do you know you're beating the drum? You know, but you're not really, you don't, it's not swinging that hard and it's still beating them. But, you know, today when we say beat a lot, you know, beating your kids, a lot of times we're talking about like physically abusing them and then you've got idiots. So here's some passage. the past Bible says thou shalt beat them. All right, Johnny, you know, <laughs> no, that's not what it's talking about. Okay. You know, it, it's, it's amazing how many people have no common sense today. It's and it seems like a lot of these people find their way in churches and that's, that's not a good thing, but you know. If we do, if we just have compassion and love for people, I think we're going to instinctively know we're going to, you know, we're going to have the ability to look out, get to know somebody and know what they can handle. And you know what? That blue haired lady that we get saved out of the community college, you know what? She's not going, she might not be quite ready to hear what we have to say about gender roles. You know, she, she might not be ready for that yet. Now, listen, we are right when it comes to gender roles. We're, we're 100% right. But you know what? It probably wouldn't hurt if she were to hang around us a little bit and to see how much better things are in our world. If we have the stronger marriages, if we have the happier women, you know what? She might be a little more willing, here we have to say, because she's already on 14 medications to deal with all her anxiety and all the impressions she's been under from all the white men, even though she's single. And... You know, but she's been told she's under oppression, And then she comes here and she see if she sees happy, you know, women who are wives and mothers that are listening to their husbands, you know what? She's like, "Wait, your husband just asked you to make him a sandwich, and you just did it with a smile on your face." I thought that was oppression. You know No, My husband, you know, he takes good care of me, you know he works hard, he provides, and I'm able to stay home and take care of the kids. This is great. I thought that was horrible. Really? It's like, how many medications do you have to take to be able to, hand, to, to, be able to handle all this oppression? I'm not on any right now. What? You know, maybe there's something to this. And then, all of a sudden, you know, she shows up at church and I'm preaching a message on gender roles. She might not get as offended. But, you know, a lot of times what we do, it's like we're trying to hurt people. And we just right out of the gate, the first thing we do, you know, we, we're just nailing them with things that are greatly offensive to our world. And folks, these things are true. These things are right, but it's okay for us to be, car- be careful about how we present them to be concerned because we don't want to hurt people. We don't want to destroy people. These things will help them But they've got to be applied properly. They need an actual good example of it. Because let me tell you, too, a lot of the guys out there running their mouths about gender roles, while while the things that they're saying might technically be right, they're also horrible husbands with miserable marriages. And that's not helping the cause. You know, the best way to preach the truth about gender roles is for us to be balanced biblically and to live it and practice it and be a good example. And sometimes we're terrible examples and that's not going to help the cause. So we need to remember that while some things are good and required decisions, things that God requires of us, things that God wants, that some decisions belong to the individual and we can't make them do it. They've got to want to. The Bible says in Romans fourteen four, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he should be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. We, we need to understand, there, there is a time to command, but then there's a time to just be an example and encouragement. And there are there are some things that we're right on, but they are not our responsibility to enforce on other people. We should be an example. The Bible says that many times. It talks about us being an example of the believer. There are some things that are between an individual and God. You can't You, you can't make somebody get saved, can you? You can't. You can't make somebody get saved. And there are some things that are between man and God that you can't make them do. Some things, too, are completely pointless if they don't come from the heart. The Bible says in Romans 2, 8, For he is not a Jew, which is one inwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew that is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not a men but of God. A lot of Jews back then... They had done things physically they were supposed to do, but you know what? Their heart was in the wrong place, and God didn't even recognize it. They did the physical thing, but because their heart wasn't in the right place, God didn't God didn't regard it. In Matthew fifteen eight, it says this pe-, Jesus speaking: "This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me. Hey, they were worshiping him. They had a practice for worshiping him." But Jesus saw it as vain. You know why? Because it was empty. It wasn't from the heart. Teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. And we need to understand even things like baptism need to carefully be taught. Because you know what? Many people are very confused on the subject of baptism. Did you know any time we say if somebody's saved, they should get baptized, did you know we're right? But one thing I've learned the hard way, we need to be careful. We had somebody, you it was a family member, that was coming to the church when we first started. They got saved. And so, you know, I confronted them about baptism one day. And it freaked them out. And they never came back again. And, you know, and I I came to realize, you know, I probably didn't approach that properly because this person was from a Catholic background. In the Catholic world, when you get baptized in another religion, that's a big deal. That's a big no, no. That all, I mean, that is you renouncing that other religion and you're going to have your family come down on you. I mean, it is, it's a really big deal. As Baptists, we understand that it doesn't save you. Uh, we understand that it's just, it's a step of obedience, but folks, when you're a Baptist, when you grow up in a Baptist home, the decision to get baptized is super easy. But then, but you know, so the thing is, you know, there, it, it is a really big step for some people to do that. And we need to be, so we need to be careful about that too. Another reason it can be confusing to people. And I think I've confused people with this before too, is because so many people have associated baptism with salvation. So it's like you go and you tell somebody, Hey, you got saved. You're on your way to heaven, you know, and then you try to talk them into coming to church. And, you know, and hopefully they understand, you know, they understand, you know, I don't have to go to church to go to heaven. But then also now you're telling me got to get baptized. Like, wait, I thought I was already going to heaven. Now, you didn't tell them you had to get baptized to go to heaven. But that's what they think. You know why? Because they've been taught a lot of false stuff. And so you're confusing them. We got to be careful and we got to we need to understand where people are coming from. And I made a lot of mistakes in that in the past, with just people who came from different backgrounds that I didn't take that into account when I told them the truth. And because, and and what I said was accurate, but you know what? They didn't fully understand what I was saying. And so a lot of times as Baptists, we're real good at just get up and where we are, we're telling it like it is, but you know what? The people aren't hearing it like it is. They're not understanding it like it is. And you know what? We don't want to say things that are going to destroy people and her people, so we've got to be careful when it comes to dropping some of these truth bombs. And church attendance is obedience to God, but people need to be here for the right reasons. We don't want to force people here. We don't want to make church a miserable place. And we do. We all understand the lame reasons that people want to miss church. Listen, as a pastor, you know, I could write a book of just, you know, 10,000 excuses to skip church all ones that people have used, you know, listen, if people don't want to do something, they're going to find a way to get out of it. But you know, there is such a thing as legitimate reasons. And you know, and I've, I've been there before where it's like preachers, they have preached so much against excuses for missing church, that it's like, people don't want to look like they're one of those people and they like show up to church and they got snot coming out everywhere. They're hacking up their lungs and you know, you can tell they've got a fever, they're passing out, not quite, but you know, I mean, it's, but it's like, I don't want to look like I'm making excuses. Like, you don't look like you're making excuses. Get out of here. You know, it's just you—you've know, you, got to—and you, uh, I could tell some stories. I—I'm I, not going to tell stories because this is public and going on the internet. But I, I've seen—I've seen some stuff before, and I could tell you some stories about people who showed up for church who should not have showed up for church, and they almost turned into making the show that I'm here no matter what. It's like, listen, if you were that bad, you should have—not st- not only should you—you you shouldn't have stayed home. You should have went to the hospital. But yet, they're there. And so, I've always tried not to do that. You know, I'll I'll just believe your excuses. But just remember, it's between you and God. So anyway, but people, they're going to do what they want to do. Same thing too, soul winning. I think think people ought to go soul winning. But you know what? You want to know why a lot of people are critical of soul winning today? You want to know why a lot of people are saying it's all fake? Because when they did it, it was fake. Now, why would somebody go soul when they don't even really believe it works? I'll tell you what, because somebody made them. There are places where they make you. you know, and it's usually these guys, yeah, when I went to Bible college, you know, I used to get fourteen people say it out every week, you know, and I know they didn't really get saved. I was just you know, I was just doing it for the numbers and everything. Now, yeah, you were because they forced you in Bible college. Are you saying Bible college students, you know, shouldn't tell people? listen. I don't know how to justify all the Bible college stuff. You know, I don't know what they're supposed to do in that situation. Why would you want to go to Bible college when you don't even believe in soul winning? But there's just, I don't know the answers for all these things. I'm just saying, though, when you force people to do stuff, it's not going to be real. And there's just some things I don't want to force people to do it. But a lot of, there are these people and they're all doing the podcast today and just talking down on all these things. And so I, I believe one of the reasons we have so many people falling out and flopping out of fundamentalism today is because they did and they said and they taught many things that they never truly believed. It just wasn't in their heart. And you know what? But it was, it was forced on them. That new wine was forced into those old bottles. And you know what happened? Bottles rent. That new cloth, it was, it was sewed on that old garment and it made the rent worse. And we do, we need to take care and concern. Because when standard separation, a lot of people are just blindly following a man and not God. And listen, if you're just blindly following a man, it's going to lead to discouragement disappointment because the man's going to mess up. The man's going to do something inconsistent. It's going to happen every time. And, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 2, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works... For they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders. And again, some of these burdens were related to good things like the Sabbath, like fasting. But these were grievous for people to bear. And there are things that even us as fundamental New Testament Baptist churches, we can go and we can start just putting burdens on people that they're not ready for. They're not ready to carry that load. They're not ready to do that kind of work. And the last thing we want to do is take spiritual things and destroy people with them. You know what we need to do? We need to have a real care, concern, and compassion. We need, we who are spiritual, we ought to support them that are weak. We ought to bear the infirmities of them that are weak. We need to help them through stuff. We need to help them get to where they need to be. But it's not going to happen unless you have a real concern, compassion for people, unless you actually get to know people. All these things are important. What we have going on today is many people are going away from things that they shouldn't be going away from. And the problem is because many people are enforcing things that they really have no right to enforce. I have no right, I I don't have the ability and the right to enforce you to pray every day. I'm giving everybody a log that you've got to fill out showing your prayer time. and Because I think you all are liars, you're going to have to video it too and provide the evidence that you did it. Listen, praying is a good thing. But, you know, do I have the right to just force that on you and create a burden? And, and that, That's not right. The things of God are meant to help. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. The way of the transgressor is hard. But what, And what gives us success, it's not the performance of a religion, but it's our faith. And we need to help people increase their faith. And you know what? You'll never increase anyone's faith by twisting their arms. Next time you go out soul winning... Don't do it, but try twisting somebody's arm to get them to believe the gospel and see if that works. <laughs> it, it, it's not going to work, and and we don't, we're, yeah, we're we're not we're not helping people that way. And so just keep these things in mind when it comes to your brothers and sisters, you know. And a lot of times, the, a lot of the pressure that comes, it is just from us looking down, being judgmental, having a bad attitude towards people. We have no right to be that way, and we're not helping anybody with that. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. I pray this message was a help to everyone. I pray you'll help us to have a true love, care, and concern for people who maybe aren't where they should be. But I pray that we'll have uh, just an attitude of of care, love, and nurture, and that we'll do what we can to help people get to where we need to be. I pray you'll help us to be a good example and and help us to be an example that people will want to follow and help us to just make a real positive difference in people's lives in this wicked world we're living in. In your name we pray. Amen.